Have you ever thought to yourself, who am I? Who am I? Who are you? What, what makes us who we are? There's so much pressure in our world today, and I think there always has been, to answer that question. Who am I? How do we find ourselves? Where do we get our identity from? Sometimes we find it from our history or our culture. For some, it's a race or ethnicity. For some, it's sexuality or sexual preference. For some, lately, it seems like there's an emphasis on gender. But there's always something new in the culture to find our identity somewhere outside of ourselves in the world that we live in. And according to the pressures and the common wisdom of the world. And I would suggest to you today that the more this has gone on, the more I believe that we have come to a point of a crisis of identity in the world today. There is more confusion than ever. I think there is more frustration than ever. There is more pressure, especially put on young people, to answer that question that is going to set them for the rest of their lives and commit to it and understand and know who are you? Today, I want to talk about a better way of finding our identity. Because I think, have you ever gone to one of those restaurants where they give you the menu and there's like a thousand different entrees on the menu? And you spend about 45 minutes just trying to figure out which one you want? There's so many different options. I remember when I was younger, the first time I walked into a Starbucks and I went, are you crazy? I just want coffee. Now I get it. Like, I'm in the cult now, and I can understand the lingo. But the first time, it was just overwhelming. So I ordered the cheapest thing on the menu, which was a shot of espresso. (laughs) And I was trying to not look like a complete fool to those that obviously knew what they were doing. And so I took, I I tried to not, you know, frown at it, because I was like, that's it? I was like a communion cup full of of coffee. (laughs) And I went outside. I didn't get any cream or sugar or anything. Went outside and I took a drink and I almost threw up because I was like, what is this? Went back in and just doused it with cream. And, And I think it's confusing in the world today because we have this massive menu of all these possibilities that are thrown at us constantly. Choose your identity. Pick, pick, pick. And then there's also this added pressure. And if you get it wrong, oh, the world will let you know. It is okay to identify one way, but don't you dare identify another way. We're all for freedom, but don't pick that. There's got to be a better way. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Focal Point. Actually, we're getting toward the end of it. We're walking through Scripture to look at the main themes that are developed throughout Scripture. One of my passions in ministry is to help people understand that the Bible from beginning to end is actually one story. It is the story of God and the people that he created that he loved even though they rebelled against him. And he has been at work all throughout human history calling us back. Several weeks ago, we got up to the point of the Gospels. We looked at the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now we're looking at the letters in the New Testament, kind of just dealing with main themes of all of them together. Last week, we looked at the importance of the Gospel for the church today. 
and how we are based on the gospel. We are here to proclaim the gospel. We are here to teach the gospel, to learn the gospel, to go deeper in the gospel. We never graduate on from the truth that Jesus died in our place on the cross and rose from the dead, promising eternal life to all who believe. You never graduate from that truth. You go deeper in that truth. And so today I want to look at another major theme that comes right out of that. And that is this idea that we are in Christ, those who have received Christ as their Savior, we are a new people with a new identity in Jesus Christ. And over and over again in the letters in the New Testament, the authors, Paul and others, they write to these churches, these Christians that they love so much. And one of the things they emphasize again and again and again is that you are called to be different. You have a new identity in Jesus Christ. Now, we have to be careful here. I'm going to give a warning at the very beginning here. Because sometimes teaching on how we need to be different in Christ is done in such a way that it heaps on guilt. Well, you're not a good enough Christian. You're not a good enough person. You've got to be better. That is not the way the New Testament teaches this. But when we understand how the gospel, that we could never do on our own, Jesus Christ did it for us when he died on the cross and rose from the grave, how that then gives us new life so that we can be different. We realize the change is not our efforts. It is Christ at work in us. And it is not become what you're not so that God will accept you. It's God has already accepted you and is at work within you. Trust it and live it out. It's beautiful truth. But we've got to get that right. So I want to talk about our new identity in Christ. And and we need to start with looking at the fact that this is emphasized in the letters. Because I want to be careful. Don't take my word for it. Okay? Just some guy up here talking. We want to go to the Word of God. We need to understand that being a Christian is not just adding Jesus to our lives. It's not just taking some good message that will help us to feel better and maybe be better people and adding it to our already busy lives as one among many things that are part of our identity. That is not how the New Testament teaches this. What Scripture teaches is that being a Christian Trusting in Christ as your Savior gives you a completely new identity that redefines everything about you. Everything. And no area of our life is to be left untouched. So we have to accept that we are called to have a new identity. So I want to run through some passages of Scripture. You can try to follow along. I'm going to put them up on the screen because we're going to be looking at a lot of individual verses. Because again, I want you to see this is not just me saying this, this is the word of God. In John chapter 3, Jesus has a meeting with a man named Nicodemus. We talked about this Friday night uh, at youth group, actually. Nicodemus comes with this question, and Jesus says this very famous thing that I think helps set the tone of what, I know this isn't a New Testament letter. We'll get there. All right, but this sets the tone of how Jesus thinks about this. Jesus replies to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
Now, here's part of our problem today. It's not a bad problem, but we use that phrase in the church all the time as Christians. Are you born again? Are you born again Christian? Sometimes we have to get outside of like our usage of terms and stop and think, how would they have heard that? Because Nicodemus right away, he goes, wait a minute, man. How can you re-enter your mother's womb? He's, He's thinking like, you literally have to go back to the very beginning and start over. How is that even possible? But I love that Jesus uses this idea because it is an extreme illustration of what it means to be a Christian. It is a completely new life, a completely new beginning. The old is gone, something new has come. There are many other ways, kind of illustrations that are used in the New Testament letters to help us understand this new identity that we have in Christ. One phrase that is used is this idea that we were, apart from Christ, slaves to sin. We were stuck. We were bound. We were shackled to sin. And yet in Christ, not only are we set free, but we are adopted as sons. Romans 8, 8.15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And that idea, I know like sometimes we want to say sons and daughters, and that's true. The Bible talks about us being sons and daughters of God in Christ. But the idea of sonship is really important in their culture. Because it's more than just a child, it is an heir. Someone who will inherit the glorious riches of their father. So so women, understand that in the New Testament, when it says you are adopted as a son, it means God gives you the full rights of his sons. And by him we get to cry, Abba, Father. So we were slaves, and now we are children, sons, adopted Another one that's used is uh, over and over again is that we were dead. Do you see how extreme these things are? You were dead in your sins. Now we are alive in Christ. Ephesians 2.1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then a little further down as he develops that in verses 4 and 5, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see how extreme this is? I I, I do think a lot of times in churches or growing up, we hear just be a better person. Just be a little bit better. The Bible doesn't say just be a little bit better. It says be completely new. Be brought from death to life. The corpse in the grave cannot be told, try a little harder. A miracle must take place for that person to be changed from someone who is dead to someone who is alive. And this is a picture of who we are in Christ. In fact, that's what the baptism symbolizes. Buried with Christ, risen to new life. It's a beautiful picture of this truth. Another extreme example that we see in Scripture is that we are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You see how extreme that is. We are a new creation. We're also called a new people. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Another thing that emphasizes throughout the New Testament and all throughout scripture, the difference that should be seen in God's people is that we are called to be holy or sanctified. 
First Peter 1, 14 to 16, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. To be holy doesn't mean to be like a saint or a perfect. Actually, it does mean to be a saint, but not in the way we use it. It means to be set apart for a purpose. So that God has called us, not just to be better us's, but to be his children set apart for the purpose that he has for us. And in order to do that, we have to be different. Paul picks up on this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I could go on and on and on reading passages like this because it is all over the New Testament. Christians are called to be different. We have a new identity in Jesus Christ. We are not who we were. We are risen to new life in Christ. And that changes everything about us. But we have to get that starting point right. We don't want to just have this guilt of of do better, try harder. Because that leads on the one hand to guilt. Sometimes it leads to self-righteousness or legalism. But there's also a flip side of that, which is self-improvement. Well, God just wants you to be better, so let's just do whatever makes us feel better. And a lot of Christians err on either side. Either really judgmental, heaping on guilt, or anything goes as long as it makes you feel better. They are both the same lie. And it is the lie that being a Christian is just being a better you. The pattern that the New Testament gives us over and over is that we are different because we've been saved by Jesus Christ. This pattern is so evident, especially in Paul's letters. He often starts with the first chapters of his letters. You can see this in Ephesians, Philippians, a bit in Galatians, uh, definitely in Colossians, and, and Romans too. You see that he talks about who we are in Christ, what it means that Jesus has died in our place, the implications of that. And then in all of these letters, there's a turning point. Now this is the difference it makes in your life. It is salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ that makes us different, not our own effort. The gospel, as we looked at last week in depth, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in our place on the cross, doing what we could not do for ourselves. We could not pay the price for our own sins. He paid it for us. And then he rose from the grave. We cannot bring ourselves out of the grave, but the Son of God did, and he promises eternal life to all who believe. You don't earn salvation by being good. But it continues on in the Christian life. We don't earn holiness just by being good or trying harder. We have to believe the gospel and apply it to every area of our lives. We are new people in Jesus Christ. I want to take you to a passage. You can open up to Romans chapter 6. We'll camp here for just a little bit. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. I'll put it up on the slides here too.
As I read this and you follow along, I want you to be thinking, where is the gospel and how is Paul applying that to our lives? Where is the gospel and how does he apply it to our lives? Listen to the language that he uses. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer is mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you see the connection that he's making? Paul doesn't say, believe the gospel, and then he turns the page and say, now be a better person. He keeps them together. Here he's talking about living a different life, but he's grabbing onto the gospel and applying it to us. We never move on from the gospel. We just keep going deeper in it. The Christian life is understanding and accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believing that he died in our place and rose again. And then this changes everything about us. And and hopefully just in this beginning here, I've shown you how important it is to understand that Christ does call us to be different, does make a difference in our lives, and that you understand how it's the gospel that sets us free to be different. But what does that look like? How do we do that? The New Testament is also filled with instructions especially in the letters, writing to churches, people just like us, struggling in a culture, not all that uh, unlike ours. And they're called to be different. So how? How do we live out this new identity in Jesus Christ? First, understand that living out the new identity in Christ is living the gospel. Careful note takers should say, Pastor, you've already said that. A few times. I'm going to keep saying it. I have found in my ministry that is one of the most misunderstood things about being a Christian. It's like he died for me, now it's on my shoulders to live for him. No, it's on your shoulders to trust in the truth that he died for you and apply it to your life. In the letter to Philippians, I talked about the pattern in in Paul's letters, that he starts with the gospel and then he applies it. And there's usually a turning point. I want to look at that turning point in the letter to the Philippians. It occurs in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, and well, first of all, in Philippians chapters 1 and the beginning of chapters 2, he's talked about who we are in Christ. He's talked a little bit about his ministry as well, but he's talked about the gospel. In the beginning of chapter 2, he talks about what Christ has done leaving the throne room of heaven, becoming a servant, uh, giving up his life on the cross, raising from the dead. And then in verse 12, he turns to us and he says, therefore, because all that is true, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now that first verse there, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Some people want to grab onto that and say, see, Jesus saves you, but now you've got to do the work. 
That's not actually what Paul is saying. Look at how these two things go together. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I'm not a huge baker. My wife does some baking. Dave, where's Dave? He might have been with the kids. He does a lot. Yeah, he's gone. That's the way it is. He does a lot of bread baking, right? So if you've ever baked, you got kind of your general ingredients, and, and a big part of it is flour. Obviously, you might have some baking soda or something like that in there. And have you ever gotten a piece of bread or a cake or something and just bitten into a lump of baking soda? Yeah, exactly. It's gross. Now, what does the baker do after they put the baking soda into the dough? They stir it. They mix it. They work that baking soda all the way through the dough. That's what Paul's talking about here. God has put the gospel into our lives. We are saved and made new. What he's saying is now let the gospel infuse every area of your life. Look at everything that you are and everything that you do through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ and live differently because the gospel makes you different. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you. We're not causing the working to happen. God is doing it. We are working it out in our lives. This is how the New Testament letters teach us to live as Christians to take the gospel and work it into every area of our lives, our relationships, our speech, everything. And then so often in the letters, they get very specific. Here are specific areas that the gospel should impact in our lives. One is our own personal holiness. That in Christ, we should live differently. We should fight against sin. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. There are a lot of Christians and a lot of churches today under the guise of loving people that have stopped calling sin, sin. But the New Testament says we are called to be holy. We don't get holy by redefining sin and making things that God has said are wrong or evil and we say they're okay. That is not holiness. Holiness is submitting to God and saying, God, you are God and I am not. You are the judge and I am not. You are the determiner of good and evil and I am not and neither is this world. And I'm called to be different, to live holy. Another area that we must apply the gospel to is our relationship with the world in general. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church that was so messed up. The ways of the world had been sucked into the church and were being lived out in the church and everything that they did. And they were an absolute mess. And he takes them to the gospel And he uses that to wring out the church of worldly ideas and saturate them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And, and then he goes on in verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. There's so much pressure on Christians today to give in to things in our culture, things in our world. And I get it because the gospel looks pretty dumb sometimes to our world. And we look really foolish at times for holding on to it. And we're called hateful and bigoted. And sometimes those things are accurate because some Christians are expressing God's truth in hateful, bigoted ways. But we cannot change the truth to give in to those things. We will look foolish to the world. So did the Christians in Paul's day. So have Christians throughout all the ages. The call was to hold on to a gospel that would not make sense to the world because it is so radically different from the ways of our world. It is not something natural for people to come to. There are things that the world says are okay or that they hold up as good, and we cannot accept that standard. We cannot. We cannot conform to the evil desires we had when we lived in ignorance, as we saw in 1 Peter 1. We cannot accept the wisdom of the world that Paul, that Paul writes that God calls foolishness. At some point, we have to choose who's in charge. Us? The world? Or God, our creator and redeemer? Throughout the New Testament letters, He continues to apply these things, the different authors, to various things. And I want to look just at Ephesians. In chapter 5, Paul applies the gospel to our marriages. Christian marriages are called to be different. And listen, look at how the gospel is applied here. And I know we want to balk at these things, especially the wife thing. Oh, that's out of date. Listen to what Paul says. Wives, submit submit yourselves to your own husbands. Why? As to the Lord says the same thing or similar with the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul's not saying, hey, this is just what it means to be a Christian couple. These are the Christian rules for marriage. He's saying, you have been saved by Jesus Christ. Let your marriage reflect that. He's saying to women, do you love Jesus, your Savior? Love your husband the same way. To men, do you love Jesus, your Savior? Love your wife the same way. So many marriages, even among Christians, that are struggling. I don't know if I feel love right now. I don't know if I feel in love. Does Jesus ever fall out of love with us? Has Jesus' love for us ever changed? And the answer is no. And the call to the Christian is, then let your marriage reflect that. No matter how you feel. Live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. He applies it to parents and children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training instruction of the Lord. He's going through some very common household things in their day, which still apply today. Apply the gospel to even the most basic of human relationships. He applies this to the church as well in general. In the letter to the Ephesian church, that switch between kind of the, the major doctrinal section into the, the application section happens in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 3. Or 1, 2, 3, rather. 
He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's the beginning of the rest of the book. Here's what it means to live as a Christian. Live a life worthy that demonstrates the calling, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look where he goes right away. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This means that one of the key areas as Christians we have to apply the gospel to today is our relationships with other Christians. We are called to relate to one another differently in a way that reflects not our own personal preferences, not our own personal identities, but that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a unity that we share with fellow Christians that are complete strangers that is stronger than anything we share with people of the world. And we need to treat each other that way, to love each other and show grace and mercy as a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been around churches for any period of time, you know as Christians, we don't always get that right. And we won't until Christ comes to take us home. But that's where grace and mercy come in and say, look, I disagree, but you're looking to Christ and I'm looking to Christ. Let's follow Christ together. Let's keep our hold on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, like with before and the need to be different, I could look at so many other examples in the New Testament of ways they apply this to our individual lives, but I don't want to overwhelm you. What I do want to do is help you to understand the Bible gets very specific on areas of our lives that the gospel must impact. It's there. We're not called to make it up. It's there. We're called to read it, study it, talk about it, go deeper in it. We could look at how the gospel affects our speech, the way we treat the poor and the oppressed, the way we are to shine as lights in the world. But all of it is about applying the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and living it out not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done for us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, I want you to leave this place understanding and rejoicing in the truth. You have a new identity in Jesus Christ. You are not who you were. And I want to challenge you. Know that identity. And then live that out in your life. Go deeper in your understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for you and deeper in your understanding of looking at your life and saying, how does the gospel apply to this? We must accept and embrace that being a Christian changes everything about us. Now, if you've slept through everything I've said, let me give you one more thing. Hold on to this, okay? It's the Cliff's Note version. I believe that this whole teaching of the New Testament can be summed up in two phrases. Know who you are in Jesus Christ. Know who you are in Jesus Christ. Study it. Go deeper in the text and say, what has Christ done for me and what difference does it make in my life? Know who you are in Christ. And the second thing is, live out who you are in Christ. Take that knowledge and say, what difference does it make in my life now? 
I am not who I was. I am somebody new. How do I live the gospel at my work, at my home, with this difficult situation, with the political environment in the world, with changing standards? How do I live out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Come what may. And friends, it's hard. We're not always going to get it right. But we are part of the family of Jesus Christ gathered together with Christians throughout history and from around the world, and we are all struggling through this together. We need to lift one another up in prayer and in help and in counsel and pointing each other to the word of God. And through all of it, remember, it is not your strength that changes you. Paul wrote to the church in Philippians in chapter 1, verse 6, something that is so helpful here being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The goal of the Christian life, to live holy, to be a changed person, has already been won in Jesus Christ. It is assured. It is anchored in the truth of who Jesus is and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Trust in that incredible promise in your life. Know your new identity in Christ and live out that new identity in every area of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the testimony of your word. Father, I thank you for the beauty of the gospel that calls us, knowing that we are wretched sinners, enemies of yours, in rebellion against you. And yet you look on us with love and grace. And you sent your son to take all of the punishment for our sin upon himself. And because of the cross, you offer forgiveness, redemption, freedom. And I praise you that your son rose from the grave on that first Easter morning. Offering new life to all who believe. A new creation. A completely new us. And Father, we admit that we struggle with this. The old part of us pulls us down. The world around us pulls us down so often. And yet you have been gracious to us. And I pray that we would trust the gospel work in our hearts and our minds to change us, to recreate us to who you have called us to be. And Father, I pray as we struggle along that path and stumble at times, I pray though that our focus on the gospel would be an example to others, that they would see our trust in you and say, I need what you have. And God, I pray if there's anyone here today that is struggling with who they are, struggling with the pressure to try to figure out things in their life, I pray you would lift their eyes to your son, Jesus Christ, today, who offers new life, new creation through the cross and the resurrection. May today be the day they start their new identity through your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen.